Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan, and I am super excited to introduce our guest to you today. Um, This is Joan Ryan, and I'm going to read her official little bio in a moment, but I just want to say that I stumbled across her from listening to some podcasts when I was researching IFS myself, and I heard an entire Enneagram series um, with IFS that she was doing on a podcast, and I reached out on a whim and emailed and said, can we chat? And she was so gracious and spent some time with me, so I'm so excited that she agreed to come on here today. So here's here's your official bio I'm going to read for everybody. Joan Ryan has been teaching the Enneagram to individuals, groups, businesses, and organizations for more than 20 years. Using the experience gained in her previous practice as an attorney, she built a leadership coaching career which expanded into many sectors and internationally. When she found IFS, she saw the possibilities of interweaving the two models as a very positive enhancement to both systems. She had the unusual honor of being directly mentored by two of the premier Enneagram teachers, Helen Palmer and the late Dr. David Daniels. Um, Her most recent work with Tammy Sollenberger, which is the podcast I found you on, focuses on the intersections between the Enneagram and internal family systems therapy, and you live in Boston. So welcome to the Donald's Grace Exchange. Uh, Thank you so much, Megan. It was so delightful to talk to you the other day. Um, And because you're in St. Louis, I have to say what I said to you, which is I'm a WashU grad. So I was in St. Louis for four years, but it was a very long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, this is, I'm delighted. Uh, I love to talk about both of these systems and my favorite thing. So we're so glad to have you. Thank you. I think my biggest question to start with would be, um, so you're trained in the narrative tradition. That's what you've taught in. What is the narrative tradition of the Enneagram versus say the Enneagram tradition I was taught in? What's the difference for our listeners? Okay, well, um, the major difference is this is the work of Helen Palmer and the late Dr. David Daniels. Um, Helen is a psychologist and an intuitive in Berkeley. Um, Dr. Daniels was a psychiatry professor at Stanford. Um, And they came together around Helen's work on the Enneagram um, in the early 90s, but she had been working with it before that. Um, Narrative tradition means that the types speak for themselves. So all of our training is interview. And for example, if I'm gonna teach a workshop, I will take people who know their type, maybe two or three of them of the same type, put them on what we call a panel and interview them in front of the class and then maybe have the class interact with them. The reason that this is so attractive to me is that I can verify anything that I read in an Enneagram book by going out and interviewing as long as I interview enough people who have strong enough self-observers to really tell me what their internal experience is. So, um, You will see panel interviewing in other schools of the Enneagram, but this is a narrative narrative tradition. And I think it's uh, narrativeenneagram.org is the current website. They changed the name recently. Um, They still do workshops and all in California. I think that's fascinating. We're all about story here. Uh, we inter- we've story in everything that we do and teach. So I love that you're having, you know, the people who know their types kind of share their own stories. What do you do? Okay. Maybe I'm a cynic. What do you do when you get someone on that panel? And as you're hearing them, you're going, I don't think you're the type you think you are. <laughs> okay, so, so this fits together with, with internal family systems um, really well. It's a great question, Megan. 
Internal family systems and Dick Schwartz, the founder, are very, very clear that all parts of us, as defined in IFS, have to be welcome all the time, no matter what kind of problems they might be causing, no matter whether on the face of it, it looks like you know they're negative or there's evil flowing there. Um, they all have a purpose and they all think that they are protecting or helping us in some ways. Narrative tradition Enneagram teaches that the recognition of type in Enneagram type in a person has to come from the inside out. And therefore, if I have somebody on a panel to go directly to your question and they don't sign, this happened recently actually, and they really, it's not sounding the same. I'm not gonna go straight at them and say, you know what, I don't think you're a whatever. I'm gonna say, that's an interesting presentation. I've never heard, or something like this. I've never heard that from a type whatever before. It does sound a little bit like this other type. And I wonder what the difference is. Um, the example I can give you recently was in a um, class that Tammy and I were running for IFS therapists. Um, we had a woman who was in class with us for almost a whole year, and she came in identified as one type, and it just didn't fit. Like, I could see it. it it's your example. But it wasn't going to help her for me to say, you know, go sit on the other panel. That happened to me really early on, and it almost, it almost pushed me away from the Enneagram altogether. Oh. Somebody told me what I was, and they were wrong. <laughs> Um, so what we did was we kept, I kept pointing out to her that there were some differences. And at one point she turned back to me and said, I think you're hearing something different from me. Can you tell me what it is? Okay. On that prompt, I'm willing to say to her, well, I'm hearing this, this, and this, that sounds like this other type. Can you go back and investigate that and come back to me? And about three days later, she called me and she said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it changed a whole, the whole um, landscape for her. Um, early on, most of us, and I'm, certainly I did this as well, you know, we get really attached to the idea that we're good at seeing type. Um, but if you do it long enough, you realize that you're not serving somebody by telling them. You can outline, you can give them differentials, you know, is it more like this or more like that and work like that. But somebody saying to you, you're that type, you know, go sit with that group, which, as I said, was what was done to me at the beginning is kind of like, yeah, all right. So I'm sitting there and this, this authority figure supposedly tells me what I am and I'm sitting and it doesn't quite fit. And I'm thinking, why are these people so excited about this system? Like, I don't get it. And I, this is almost 30 years ago now. I was lucky enough that there were some people of my own type, which happens to be nine mediator, who were paying attention. And one of them walked over and he said, you know, come sit with us and listen for a little while. And then I got it because I listened to them. And what I say very often is it felt like somebody climbed inside my head and wrote down all the thought patterns. It was a little creepy. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that's how it works. And I've been in, in very, you know, very high level Enneagram conferences where somebody who's been teaching for years, all of a sudden another layer of psychological material or trauma or something comes off and they go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. you know, Type doesn't change, but 
it can get really covered over and you can get, you can get pushed into some of your connected points, which is what makes it interesting. Can you explain I, what that phrase connected points? Okay, so if you look at the diagram, there is, it's sort of a funny shaped nine pointed star. Mm -hmm. There is a equilateral triangle in the middle that go to points three, six, and nine. And then the others are around it. The lines from each point, each point has two lines. Those are connected points. And what that means is that qualities of those two points at the other end of the lines are in you somewhere. And part of a holistic view of this is to begin to find them. Um, in the literature, um, especially more of the older literature, you're gonna see that there's stress and security, they're labeled as stress and security points or stress point and heart point. Um, my own experience and all the interviewing I've been doing all these years tells me that yes, maybe you get there easiest in the beginning in a stressful situation, or maybe you get there easier in the beginning in a really relaxed, secure situation, but it isn't, it isn't linear like that. Mm, okay. The other thing um, that I feel really strongly about, again, because I verify everything on interview, um, and I've been doing this all over the world for quite a while, is that in our culture, we associate stress with negative. So there's a lot of writing that says you get pushed into your connected point, your stress point by stress. And so the assumption is you go to the negative qualities of that type and it doesn't work that way. Oh, okay. So I can use myself as an example. I'm a nine and on the, on the diagram, my stress point is six. Sometimes stress will push me there, but it will push me to the positive qualities of six. So I might get like really clear and my logic gets clearer and you know some of the nine fog that I live with clears up. I could also go to the negative, but it's both. Similarly, again, using myself, my secure point or my heart point is three. Some teachers even say that as you get healthier and more self-aware, you move towards your heart point. Well, that also doesn't track in my experience. Um, you know, I won't argue it with anybody. It's just, I can't make it, I can't verify it. So there my skeptic comes in. <laughs> so similarly, we associate heart or security with positive, And you think that move would take you to the positive. I have lots of examples in myself and in lots of people of different types that I've interviewed that that security move could bring out less than positive quality mm -hmm. of that other type. So it's much more holistic in my opinion. Yeah, we teach Did that. Um, Deidre? Yeah, that helps. I It's something I, I understood where you were going, but I'm not sure our listeners have heard that phrase. Um, so I just wanted to kind of clarify no, those, those moves and the lines that we share. I think and that's a little do. bit why people don't always know where they are either, because maybe they're a two who's really in their four space there or something like that, you know, so yeah, that makes it really hard um, yeah. because because you everybody has a core point. We know pretty much categorically that it doesn't change, but you have these two connecting lines, and then you have what are called wings, which are the points on either side going around the circle. Mm -hmm. If you count that up, that's five out of nine. That's complicated. <laughs> so no <laughs> wonder know? we see ourselves in so many spaces. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And if you happen to be a nine like me, you see yourself everywhere because right, that's right. the talent of the type. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, we do teach that, um, that you can access the healthy and unhealthy sides of your stress and security lines. I think that is a really important facet to it because otherwise there's, it takes volition a little bit out of growing, you know, out of the, it's always like, oh, I'm sliding to a bad spot, but also it makes us aware of on our heart point, like you said, when we're hitting those unhealthy behaviors, sometimes we don't always see that. So we do teach that that is a move that can happen without us even being aware of it sometimes, unless we are actively choosing some of those healthier behaviors. I agree with that a thousand percent. And I'm so glad to hear that. And, you know, again, if we're looking at this holistically as a model for growth, we want to take in all the information that the diagram and the material about it can give us. Um, and I love that you're saying maybe unconsciously that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it does. It, it really does. So it, it is very fluid. Um, and I do think that, you know, it's more like a spiral than, than a straight shot up. Um, mm-hmm. That you'll get levels of things. But type can be really sneaky. And again, kind of like IFS protectors. The type thinks if it had a voice separately, it doesn't. But if it did, it thinks it's helping. It thinks it's protecting. So it's going to keep showing up no matter how long you work with it. And it will get more and more subtle and more and more difficult to catch the movements of it because it's not Mm -hmm. going to go away. Um, uh, Helen Palmer's language for this is that what we want to do in growth is we want to loosen the pins that hold it so tightly around us. Okay. And the more we loosen that, the more flexibility we have, the more we open our view screen to all the folk, you know, focus points of attention that would be there other than just our primary. Because our yeah. listeners can't see your illustrative oh, hands right now. Yeah, no, I, mean, I just want to say, because <laughs> you're using language, maybe we don't use when we talk about this. So you're talking about t- our type being the thing that kind of, well, what people don't, what they often will say to us is I don't want something to box me in. And you're saying, oh no, your type already is cocooning all around you very tightly. And, and you need to understand it so you can make some choices to expand that and have more freedom within it. Am I saying that correctly? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, about uh, 20 years ago, we made a documentary on the Enneagram for PBS that um, was around for a while um, for the San Francisco station. And we called it breaking out of the box. Oh, yeah, it was. And we had we had a wonderful visual. I don't remember who created it, but it was great. It was a big white. I'm using my hands again, but it was big, tall, white box built around and the sides fell open and inside was a person sitting on a chair. And, you know, the metaphor was you take one side down at a time to, uh, to free yourself from that box. Yeah. 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 I love that. So would you say trying to overlap here, IFS with the Enneagram, would you say that our Enneagram type is a part of us then, or like using IFS terms, how would you kind of make that correlation? Um, the, the language that Tammy and I have, Tammy Solenberger and I have been using, um, and it's, it's threaded through our podcast, and I think we can put the podcast links in the notes for this session. There were six, we did six episodes. Um, our hypothesis is that type is probably a constellation of parts. I believe really strongly and, uh, that type is inborn. When I first started to do this, the arguments about nature and nurture were much more 
in the four, but you know, um, neurobiology and all of what's come through in the last 25 years just keeps going in the direction of saying this is inborn and experience can fall on the prepared ground for lack of a better way. Mm. So we think that there are parts and IFS says that some of your parts are inborn as well. Um, so if I have three people who are the same type, they're gonna have similar constellations of parts. They might not all have the same ones and they're gonna have different variants for the individual experience, but I might expect to find a similar critic, let's say, okay. with similar concerns and a similar you know, to-do list part manager or you know, like that. Um, and it's starting to bear out that way. Um, there also do seem to be some similar exiles underneath or mm -hmm. exiles that have uh, similar issues that shut them down or that traumatize them. Um, and so we're working with that as, um, as a way to put two maps together. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I would so say. Helpful. Yeah. Okay. So which comes first, understanding your parts or understanding your Enneagram type? I don't think it matters. Okay. Um, because I think they're both maps. And um, for me, adding IFS to the Enneagram, which is much more recent, I've been doing the IFS work about 12 or 13 years, and I've been in the Enneagram since, well, a long time, <laughs> 30, actually 30 years, 1992. Um, for me, it was IFS gave me technique that I could use for myself and for my clients and my students um, that I didn't have in the Enneagram that would let me fine tune information with clients. So it, it also gave me language that I could send somebody away with. Okay, go find the part that feels X, Y, Z, which is within the structure of your type and have a conversation with it. Um, we never had that before. Um, and, yeah. and to me, that just makes it a, a really nice marriage together. A lot of the people that have worked with me come to it with IFS background and no Enneagram. And they say sort of similar things. It's like it's another map and it's another way to access type, uh, access parts. And the other thing that's coming through is it, it does seem to ease some of the conversations that we want to facilitate um, having with our parts or our, our clients having with their parts. It gives us some, some directions to go. Oh, that's good. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. Well, um, it's almost like, I hate this word, but I'll use it anyway. It's almost like a shortcut. If I have somebody who comes in and they're circling through the same issue over and over and over again, I may see in that issue the pattern of an Enneagram type. If I do, then I've got a lot of information about what to suggest and what not to suggest. And this is similar to how I used this when I first learned the Enneagram. I was still practicing law at the time. Um, I don't anymore. Um, and I did a lot of arbitration and mediation, which is very good, you know, for, for a mediator nine, but who knew? Um, and what it started to happen is if I had um, conflicting, conflicted parties at my mediation table or my arbitration table, I would know where to go with them if I could read the pattern of the type and where not to go. 
So for example, if I had an eight, a nine, or a one, a body type in the Enneagram, I'm going to know that they need to feel heard if I can see that pattern. But if I have a heart type, that's not going to be the priority for those three. They're going to be more focused on, for example, image. And so it's a guidance system to, to it sort of saves a lot of time sometimes. Yeah. But you do have to do it with a curious, open uh, style because I don't care what expert I am or anybody else is, we can be wrong. Mm-hmm. So you experiment. Well, it looks like this type. So let me try this and see if it comes back and verifies. If it doesn't, then I'll try something else. Did I answer your question? Yeah. And I, I feel like, well, when we found the Enneagram, we were kind of doing a little bit of this work without any language, right? We didn't have the map of the Enneagram, we, but we were, we, we were onto something. We knew there was, for lack of a better word, parts of people that still needed to find like wholeness and integration, sure. but we didn't have the language for it. And what the Enneagram gave us was kind of a tool that helps, I feel like, remove shame from people. So rather than going, you have an inner critic, why do you beat yourself up all the time? It was, oh, I'm a type one. All ones experience this kind of criticism all the time. And it just removed a little bit of the shame from it. So I'm assuming that that IFS language is just another way of kind of going, me too. Like it's another equalizer for people. Yeah, it's um, the the people who um, who work with uh, mindful self-compassion call it common humanity. And I think that it is comfort and it does take the sting out of it. Yes, you're a type one. Here's the pattern we see exactly what you just said, Megan. With these people, we know that it's likely if you're a one, for example, that you're going to be much harder on yourself than you are on somebody outside of yourself. And and we can tell you where that's coming from because Mm -hmm. of type structure, should you want to know. Um, and, And most people do want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so intuitively, you both went in a direction that fits with both systems. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, multiple children. So I think just being a mom <laughs> and trying to navigate teen years makes you look for answers. You know, you, yeah. you want them to grow into whole people. Uh, one of my daughters was just saying to me yesterday about, um, she realized she was assigning a lot of moralities to some of her emotions, you know, and that made her feel like, then it made her kind of get in that cycle where then you're beating yourself up for feeling it and all of that. And we were just able to have such a beautiful conversation that there's, there's a place here for all of that. And that's all part of being human. So I love that you said he used that phrase, you know, common humanity. We don't have, we are human. We have emotions. I mean, these are God-given emotions even. And so I think it's beautiful that we can integrate because I would say what Megan and I were initially doing, even when we first were learning the Enneagram was thinking that we could grow healthier by getting rid of the things that were holding us back. And so IFS has really made it a more holistic approach to say, okay, recognizing these parts that aren't serving us well anymore, maybe as they once needed to you know, and integrating them in is, is just so beautiful. So gracious. Yeah, or, or, you know, in your example, Deirdre, can we repurpose that part? Can we redirect right. it so that it does something in that is useful and helpful in current time? Mm-hmm. Because don't forget, most parts are stuck somewhere, frozen somewhere in the past, and they don't know that. Yeah. So once you bring that conscious, and I think that this is another place where IFS is so helpful. Um, I'm, pretty strong believer in not doing too much Enneagram typing with kids, Um, especially little kids. Um, I think that for teenagers and young, you know, college age, 
um, that it can be really useful in terms of learning styles and blocks to things like that. Mm-hmm. But emotionally and all of that, you know, they're still navigating within their system. Um, and there's a lot of theories about, you know, how people grow into their types. I just don't feel comfortable mucking with that. But we can talk to their parts and teach them to talk to their parts mm, carefully right. and facilitate that. And, you know, I'm not saying that I won't mention that I see a pattern that looks like a type. As long as I can say it in a way that doesn't say to that kid, this is who you are and I'm locking you in. Right. Right. Yeah, I I would agree. Uh, Minor college age, uh, the one that I was talking about is 17. So she's still, I think meeting those parts, we're going, oh, there's a pattern of about, we think maybe this one, but there's these other two that could be I would have to say as an Enneagram one, I really like certainty. (laughs) So I really liked learning the Enneagram, typing people and moving on with things. And so curiosity (laughs) is something I'm working on. So I hear you and I'm going to take a note. (laughs) Curiosity. Okay. I'll give you another piece of information from long interviewing. And that is that there is a fair amount of evidence and and this tracks all the way around the world. As far as I know, the type is going to show at its most strongest for most people, not all, in around the mid 20s, around mm-hmm. 24, 25 years old. So that's kind of a watchword. Okay. Um, the other thing I'll say to you is I, one of my, my two daughters are nine, uh, I'm sorry, are a one and an eight. The eight is clearly an eight, although she has a lot of control because she's been sort of exposed to all of this stuff for so many years. But as a kid, she easily looked like a two, mm-hmm. very easily. And we could, we could see bits of five in her even then. And that's the, con- you know, eight, yeah. five was the constellation. Yeah. So um, you have to be really careful. Um, and, and I do think you can suggest a pattern, like I said, as long as it stays open and fluid. I, I love the way that you said it. And curiosity, yeah, um, us body types need to learn about that. <laughs> Because we get very definite. I think it's my spiritual practice this year. (laughs) Curiosity. Yeah. Uh, Well, as a four, um, I like gray areas and about every week. It's weird that we're friends. I don't understand this. (laughs) No, you have a shared line. It's not weird at all. It is. It's true. (laughs) But about once a week, I'll go, maybe I'm a six or maybe I'm a two or, and she's just like, no, you're a four. And actually, Joan, when you and I talked and we were talking about a type four and in my brain, I'm going, you know, I've only been studying this for a handful of years and you've been doing this for 30. And what if I say something and you go, oh, you're not actually a type four. <laughs> well, now you know that I wouldn't say that. So, <laughs> now I do. <laughs> you know, the other thing is, and, and I know, Megan, from our earlier conversation that, that you understand this, you have to take people where they are. And when you're doing spiritual work or you're doing psychological work or both, some people have to hang out in a type that turns out not to be their core mm. until they're ready to see the next piece. And this is another reason that I really hate typing children mm-hmm. or even teenagers. Um, very often, like the, like the example I gave you before, there was a lot of trauma in that person's history. Yeah. Um, and another layer of it had to come off in its own timing and it wasn't going to help her at all if I hurried her along. Now I had to learn that because I like things to be definite and you know it was kind of fun to be really good at it and I can see type I can read it. Yeah. But got to respect that that people 
their resistance is there for a reason. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're reminding me. So one of the biggest things I took away from um, the podcast series that you did with Tammy and what I have been talking about for like the last two weeks is focus of attention. And I know you and I chatted about that too. Mm -hmm. So like you said, we can identify with maybe five numbers really easily on the Enneagram because Mm -hmm. of connected points and wings and things like that. But it's all down. It all comes down to focus of attention. And if you, you, I heard you say, if you don't have that same focus of attention as your type, then it's a, that's the deal breaker. So, it can is. you talk a little bit about that for our listeners, please? Yeah, um, I have to give credit to a, a friend of mine who lives in Maine, who whose favorite phrase is, "It's all Enneagram one hundred and one over and over and over and over again," which means always go back to the basics. Oh, that's good. Um, what, what Megan is referring to is that each type has a primary focus of attention. What that means is there is a subject, for lack of a better description, that is prioritized among all the information that's coming at a person in any given moment. You're taking in information through all your senses and you know, no matter who you are. And it's way more information than anyone can process at any time. What the focus of attention type by type tells us is what you're gonna prioritize out of all of that information. It doesn't mean that it's the only thing that you see, but it means that it's the thing that gets magnified or highlighted in your awareness unconsciously. Um, Helen used to say, it's like a horse with blinders on. It doesn't know that it has blinders. I'm using my hands again, but Um, it's narrowing their view out of reality in front. And what we want to do by explaining this is to open those blinders to a greater view. So let's say we have somebody who comes in, who presents um, very strongly that they're convinced that there are four and everything else lines up. But when I go to talk about focused attention, they are completely blank when I talk about the ability to notice what is missing, okay? Gotta gotta look somewhere else. Mm. Now, using what I said before, I'm not gonna tell them they're not a four, but I'm gonna say there is a key component of type four and I need you to go and work on it and see if you can find that in yourself because it's, it's a key determinant of type. And if it's not there, we really should start looking a little more broadly. I might say it something like that. Um, this has happened particularly um, where sometimes you get someone who comes in and they're between two types, lookalikes. I'm sure you guys have this all the time. Um, I, very often um, it's happened where I have somebody who comes in and is convinced that there are five. And then I talk to them about the focus of attention and then five, there's actually two. Um, One is gathering information and most people can relate to that. The other one though, is this exquisite sensitivity to time and energy because it's Mm -hmm. seen as a finite resource. If that's not there, I gotta go look somewhere else because it's a a key piece of the structure that's holding the type together. So I hope I answered your question. And, you know, there's a chart and different authors are going to say it slightly differently, but basically they're all the same. Would it be putting you on the spot to really quickly run down the nine focuses? Uh, No, but let's see how fast I can do it. Um, 
So for the one, as Didu knows, it's error and mistake. Um, and that's gonna be in this metaphor, the first thing that's gonna come to mind. Um, for the two, it's the needs of other people and how that person can jump in and meet those needs. For the three, tasks and goals. They choose them and then they get locked on them. Um, and they might not even know that they're choosing them. Um, for the four, it's what's missing rather than what's present. And there's an idealization behind it. You're smiling at me because you know this one. Yes. Um, for the five, as I said, it's gathering information, but it's also um, the view that time and energy are finite resources that can be used up. And they are very, very careful about how they use those resources. Now, of course, it's not true that they can be used up, but it sure feels like it if you're a five. Mm -hmm. um, for the six, um, some authors are going to say it's, it's possible harm or danger. I think it's actually a little broader than that. I think it's what could go wrong. Because it doesn't have to be physical danger or anything like that. Mm, it, it's, yeah. We call them troubleshooters because they can see where, you know, where the holes are mm -hmm. um, in something. Um, for the seven, um, it usually says options. But David Daniels had a wonderful phrase. He said, planning for pleasurable possibilities. He loved alliteration. <laughs> I, like so that. I think that encompasses it pretty well. For the eight, it's power and control. Um, the thing that's really important to understand, though, is that it might look like they want to control us, but they don't really. They just don't want anybody or anything to control them. Okay. So they have to have, have a, um, a handle on the power and control in the situation in order to protect themselves. And for nines like me, it's the agendas of everyone else, which always looks much more interesting than our own. Wow. Um, and it takes a lot, you know to shift any of those. So I didn't think I could do that that fast. But Thank you for that. That, <laughs> that is, that is super helpful. I'm excited that you just shared it in those, like that. I, I just did an Instagram series on focus of attention, but it was kind of a different spin on the phrasing of that. And I know that different people say different things. So I just, I really appreciate how you laid that out for us. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, um, I think that it's useful that different authors and different teachers use different language because some people are going to hear it through a different mm -hmm. phrasing. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll say, go read, you know, three or four different authors. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the labels of the types. Um, some people oh, I get hate the word really, perfectionist. I hate yeah, the word perfectionist. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Well, and that was an old Enneagram I joke. Can't, so I can't be a good enough one then. <laughs> okay, but, but we used to joke around, um, and this is going back away, that you knew that you found your type correctly when it made you faintly ill. Right. <laughs> um, but again, the, the names that we assign to the types don't have any intrinsic value on their own. Okay. And one isn't better than another. They're just all descriptors. And the same right. as the numbers are identifiers. Yes, there's a whole mathematical thing that I don't understand because I don't do math um, that you can do with the numbers. But if you're learning this for yourself development, that's not really, you know, going to help you very much. Right, right. Well, I'm going to go research that. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not a numbers person. No, thank you. <laughs> I, no, not at all. And, you know, my my kids make fun of me for that. It's like, oh, it's math. You know, when, when, when the younger one was little, she'd come home and you'd hear, 
mom, can you help me with my homework? Uh, wait a minute. It's math. Forget it. <laughs> oh, my kids too. Where's dad for that? Everything else is mine. If it falls under writing, but not, not math. Yeah, no math. Yeah. So my biggest question for you is how can you just counsel all of us? <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to just come sit in my living room with me and my kids and my husband. <laughs> I'm hey, guessing you don't yeah, do that. Like yeah, house calls. I do, I do all different kinds of things. I'm old enough now that I only take things that I really want to do. I really love the work I do with Tammy. Um, she's a three. I'm a nine. We work the shared line a lot. She has the motivation that I've worked so hard to find in myself. Yeah. And I have the ability to slow her down when she needs to. And it's, it's just been fascinating. So, you know, the, the things that I would suggest to people are um, that they watch some videos. If you go to narrativeenneagram.org, for example, you can click on videos of people talking about what it feels like from the inside to be those types. We've been doing it that way for a million years. Um, I created um, a card sorting exercise that I have as a card set um, it's not intended, and I keep saying this over and over, although nobody seems to hear it, it's not intended to determine type because I don't think that you can determine type by forced choice. You just can't. Mm -hmm. What it's designed to do is to teach people some of the language and some of the questions that we want them looking at inside of themselves. So if, um, if you go to my website, which is creativecollaborations.net, um, those are there. Um, if anybody who's listening to this wants cards, um, because of, this is a podcast, there's a discount, but you have to email me if you want that. Um, it doesn't, I can't put that through the website. Um, we also have uh, a digital option to take the card sorting um, digitally without my mailing the uh, printed set. That's on there, but that also requires an email. Um, Tammy and I are offering a course, IFS and the Enneagram, which is probably right now more um, people who have more familiarity with IFS than with the Enneagram, but we want to explore both starting March 18th. That's on my website. Um, and the podcast series, I think, really encompasses a lot of the work that we've been doing. And that's at uh, the one inside, Tammy Sollenberger. Um, or on her website, or on mine, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm learning all this tech stuff, you know, slowly. <laughs> well, we will include links to all of those things on our show notes. So if people want to find you, we'll have a million ways to do that. Okay. Well, I, I really, I love talking to both of you. And if there's ways that we can work together, or I can support you, please let me know, because I would be delighted. And I have this soft spot for St. Louis, you know, I was, I was a 17 year old who knew nothing when I showed up there a long time ago. And it was a very, very big piece of, you know, my learning uh, experience. Um, it was a very odd thing to do to go from Boston to St. Louis when I did it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not anymore, sure. but it was, yeah. And then you ate all the toasted ravioli and the Emo's pizza. I was just yeah, and and um, on the WashU campus, I don't know if it's still there, but there was um, there's a library sort of in one of the old buildings, and they used to make the best iced hot chocolate in the world, oh, and that was our comfort food. Mm -hmm. 
um, I can't even remember the name of the building, but I can see that hot chocolate, <laughs> the cold chocolate. Yeah. Oh, frozen hot chocolate is my absolute go-to dessert. Yeah. And you, it's never yeah. on a menu and you just have to order it special. <laughs> yeah. I, I got that. I got through college on that. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we're so delighted that you could be with us. Um, just feel a kinship with your um, spirit, the way that you talk about how this helps people. It's what we want to do here. We want to help people learn more about how to navigate themselves, because I just think we kind of walk through life a little bit of a mystery to ourselves and aren't sure why we keep getting in those cycles that are repetitive. So this is such beautiful tools, as you said, these maps that kind of converge and help us to know. So thank you for sharing the wealth of your wisdom and uh, decades of knowledge. It's so beautiful. Well, I, um, I, I really feel a, a synergy with both of you. I felt it when I talked to Megan and oh. just meeting you today, Deidre. Um, like I said, I, I, uh, I only do the ones that I want now, which is a, which is a development for nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, we, well, we are, then. yes, very honored. And we could, this could be like a six hour podcast because I, we, you have so much to say and we could just ask you questions all day, but for your time, we'll, we'll go ahead and call it a wrap and just okay. thank you so much. You're welcome. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.